Welcome back to There's Always Another Podcast, a Brandon Sanderson reading and rereading podcast. I'm Justin, and I'm joined by... Beth. Sam. And Beth. Shit, no, Caleb, sorry. No! <laughs> All right, we're you starting know, it over. Identity theft is... <laughs> identity it's a serious is issue. It's a crime. <laughs> which one? <laughs> I don't know which one to shoot. All right. Uh, today, uh, we've gone through chapters six through eight of Mistborn, The Final Empire, which wraps up part one of the book. So we've gotten into the meat of things. We've had a good old-fashioned fantasy book info dump. Uh, we've had two of them, in fact, one for plot and one for magic. Uh, and then we we set some things up and get ready to, to hit the ground rolling in part two. So just starting things off, uh, what did y'all think of the, the section that we that we read? It's great to see the drum roll starting up. You know, that, that slow drum roll that always happens at the start of a good heist novel. Yeah, we, we get a we get a plotting scene. We get a a, a big old plan. Oh, those are always great. W- complete with chalkboard. Complete with chalkboard. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. Yeah, we can get into it in the play-by-play a little bit, but I really appreciate that, like, I think a lot of times in heist movies, they're, like, they're quote-unquote brainstorming, but what it really is is they come up with an idea, and then that's just the idea they do, and that's that's the whole plan. I really appreciate that in this, it's really actual planning, and there's troubleshooting, and someone will suggest something, and it'll get shot down, and they go, well, maybe we can work with a little bit of that, but we'll combine it with this, and it actually feels like people actually planning something instead of just coming up with an idea and then that works perfectly immediately. Yeah, no, that's pretty cool. They they hit some setbacks. They have to, to work around things even in the, the early stages. And there are even some parts where they're like, yeah, this is a good general idea and I guess we'll figure out the rest later. General mayhem. Yeah, which, which, which tracks <laughs> in the way that I think things actually get planned. Yeah. I also really love, we, we've referenced, we had a both a plot info dump and a magic info dump. The magic info dump felt very active to me in that it was like, not just them sitting around talking about it this time, but wandering about and actually doing mm-hmm. this stuff. And we'll get, you know, more examples of, of learning a little bit more later, but it was a good initial setup info dump, I thought. So let's go ahead and, uh, and start with chapter six. Uh, we start, as always, with an with an epigraph, uh, with our um, heroic figure saying that uh, they they were they were called to this. They didn't choose this this heroic destiny, but they can they can sense something. They can feel a a pulsing in the mountains. So they know, even if a lot of this is just mystical prophecy to them, there is something out there, and and that's something to be wary of. Can't wait to find out what the deepness is. All these little terms. Yeah, capital D. More uh, good good fancy words. I feel like this is the first time the epigraphs have felt quite so ominous. Which is weird to say about, you know, we've, we've been new that this is some dude trying to battle some sort of apocalypse. But this feels like the first time where you're like, oh, something is pulsing in your brain? That's not normal. Mm. Yeah, that feels kind of Lovecraftian, which is, yeah, kind of the first we've got of those vibes so far. So then we get into the uh, the, the present day, as it were, uh, leaving right where, where Vin left off. 
though we had we had Kelsier at the end of chapter five. Uh, we're starting here with with Vin uh, waking up in the morning, uh, and we hear a little bit about uh, her look around the shop the previous night, uh, which I really love how she she waited for everyone to go to bed, and then snuck out and just looked around this whole place, because that's how Vin is. Just a very well-adjusted girl. <laughs> mm-hmm. She's doing great. And so they, they start getting ready in the morning. Uh, they say that there's a... Doxon tells her that there's a, a meeting later in the afternoon. Uh, says that there's a uh, a bath and, and clothes ready. Vin has a bath and then smells funny. Um, I thought it was weird, uh, like a, a couple of paragraphs back, um, that Vin doesn't know what a smoker is. I mean, I, you know, there's like not being initiated in the world of, 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 uh, you know, allomancy, but then like, you know, she's a heister at the same time. That's true. It, it seems like something that would be legendarily talked about, like, I don't know, as a concept. Yeah, we, we saw back in the, the chapter with Cayman's uh, old crew that knowledge of allomancy in general um, among people of, of Vin's place in life it's really sparse, but yeah, it it is it is kind of interesting to see just how little she does know at this point. I also just kind of got the sense that like smokers and thugs, like that's probably very much the underground terms that that people use. Whereas, mm. um, I feel like in this world, most people associate allomancy with the nobility, and you know, be, yeah, being part of a heist crew, you know that there are some mistings out there. Um, helping each other out to pull off big jobs but um i don't know it didn't strike me as too odd that that she wouldn't know all the lingo necessarily uh just because of how um like justin said how sparse it is and how how rare it is to be able to come into contact with people like that when you're one of the one of the the muggle heist crews mm-hmm. just to just to stay i <clears throat> i'm realizing now that she referred to her you know burning metals before is using luck um i feel like the difference between that and knowing what a smoker is is like um you know it's normal to especially when when you're of a certain age or whatever to not to be like what is my body doing i don't understand this it must be x or y whereas like lingo is kind of more widely discussed just before people light me up for like not conflating the two because because it's it's true she didn't know what luck was so i guess mm-hmm. it would make sense but yeah yeah she's got a lot to learn and we will we will definitely see that i appreciate your your t- awareness of how deeply you will get bullied on the internet for briefly conflating some terms <laughs> some <laughs> That's right. in this magic book <laughs> well i've i've seen more than one uh uh youtube podcast who will issue a correction for a statement that they made five minutes ago and then call out the fact that people will have already left comments having not finished the video calling them out for their mistake that only lasted five minutes listen to the whole episode people it's important yeah we'll have 10 minutes of retractions at the end so make sure you get to that so vin is is starting off her day uh She's had her bath. It is it is a strange new world for her, uh, and she she actually comments on how uh, if she's a, going to be expected to do some sneaking around, uh, she needs to make sure that she doesn't smell rich, 
which is a thing that that she immediately notices and probably would have noticed on other people and isn't a thing that these folks around here perhaps thought about. Yeah, we've gotten a lot of examples of just how different the two sorts of heisting teams are. Like, mm-hmm. it's made very clear you've got Vin's style of crew and then you've got Kelsier's style of crew and they're, even though they're both doing the crime, pretty much in completely different worlds. And I think this is a another nice subtle example of that that this simply would not occur to the folks in kelsier's crew but vin is like no (laughs) this cannot be and the added irony of knowing the role she's going to play in the grand plan that's true yeah in the end smelling rich probably is going to be useful but it just is such a uh discordant thing for her to feel right now um that yeah Mm mm-hmm Shortly after that, uh, Ham arrives, starts uh, starts chatting. Uh, we get another uh, scene that I I quite like, where Ham is, is asking what's going on, uh, and Vin has uh, eerily accurate knowledge of where everyone is because she went and spied on everyone. Uh, and Ham says, "You always keep track of where everyone is like that." And she says, "Yes," and just leaves it at that. Picturing Ham as Keith Lee as usual. Um... And for some reason, his is the most uh, uh, steady picture. Apart maybe from Vin, who I still picture as Rooney Mara really strongly, but even though she's not aged properly. um, But yeah, uh, Keith Lee's a very gentle giant, and I picture Ham as the same kind of way. Mm -hmm. For sure. So, yeah. So a little bit later... uh... As the the day progresses, uh, we get uh, uh, another new character, though we've seen him before. Now he has some some words to say, and quite the words they are. Uh, this is uh, the the boy who was with clubs, uh, who is uh, uh, also a teenager, and he says, uh, "You're wanted, ups in the where above with the doing." With master jumps to the third floor, which is a totally normal sentence for anybody to say. <laughs> And then follows, there's not even like a, you know, comma, Lesterborn said, comma, next sentence. It's just that. And then immediately after, uh, I've got to go. And then he runs. It's great. <laughs> and then he runs away. Oh. I don't know. I don't like Lesterborns yet. <laughs> I just, he's, he seems a little in, uh, intrusive as the character goes. He, he generates very passionate discourse on reread podcasts which i always love so i wanted to see how people thought about him and obviously we've seen him for all of one sentence so far but we'll see where this goes but yeah i always thought of um it it mentions that he has a uh a thick eastern accent um and they i don't remember if it's in this part or if it's a bit later but they they discuss the way that he speaks um and i think what brandon was going for was something like a, a cockney rhyming slang where it's it's still english or whatever language they're speaking here uh but it's a very in-group uh thing where where you use words in very non-standard ways and it it sets the group apart and we get no explanation for it i feel like this is the first time we've truly seen Vin at a loss for words which is deeply funny like all of this yeah she's just like what what the hell was that Exactly. It's like the revelations that she is one of the most magic people, like 
caught her off guard, but she's taking it all in stride. But this weird boy, she's like, okay, what the fuck? And the way that she says it in, in her, you know, italics thought here, was that supposed to make any sense? Not like, what did he mean by that? Or, you know, I've never heard words like that. But was that supposed to mean it make any yeah. sense? Yeah. Or was it just garbage that this young gentleman has thrown at me? Yep. So we will we will see what, what goes with there. But the message, at least as, as far as is understood, is that uh, Vin is, is wanted at the meeting and she should go up there. Which she does, and we see the crew starting to assemble. Uh, there's a note that uh, Breeze arrived around midday uh, and drafted about half of Clubs' staff to unload all of his stuff while he watched. So he's having a grand old time. And then uh, the, the crew at this point has assembled. We have Kelsier, Breeze, Ham, Docs, Clubs, uh, Lesterborns, The Boy, uh, Yeadon, who all of whom we've met before. Uh, there's two empty chairs. One of them is for Vin, and one of them is yet still empty, because Kelsier's standing. And uh, Vin kind of folds herself into the chair because she is tiny and wants to not be seen. Sometimes there are sections of books that just, like, live rent-free in my head and all the descriptions of, like, where Vin decides to sit and strategically placing herself to always see every entrance, sometimes that pops in my head when I'm just, like, chilling in a room. And I'm like, thank God I don't have to live like that. That's so much mental geometry. And so now we, we begin the, the heist planning scene, uh, with some important capital letters on that even. Um, and yeah, like we mentioned earlier, this is this is a genuine, like th this is a working meeting. This is a brainstorm session. We've got problems to deal with, and we've got some solutions coming in. But let's let's figure it out, uh, complete with chalkboard. Yes, indeed. Um, can I uh, just a sidebar here? Interesting little thing. Um, for a while, I was trying to make it in the museum industry, and I was an intern at. Uh, the Henry Ford Museum mm -hmm. um, and uh, I was in a meeting with a bunch of C-suite employees you know playing the part of Vin es essentially you know stand over there and don't talk except right. Vin you know could talk but um, and people were, were brainstorming in the same way that they're brainstorming here which we'll, we'll talk about I'm sure but but conclusions were drawn that were on the scale of okay we'll just We'll get a million dollars from our donors, and then what we'll do is we'll send out a mailer to, uh, you know, our eight hundred thousand members, um, and raise that membership up by about two hundred fifty thousand. And I was like, these are enormous numbers and really hard things to do, <laughs> and you're just gonna, you're just saying you're gonna do them. <laughs> yeah. So I was reminded of all that. We're we're just gonna remove the entire garrison from the city. We're going to steal from the imperial treasury. No, raise problem. an army without anybody noticing. Yeah, it'll be fine. I do really hope there is fan art of this chalkboard and everything Kelsier has written on it, and how unhinged the entire thing looks. Because um, there's a lot that goes on here, and things get circled and crossed out, and there's arrows pointed to other things. 
Um, I'm just picturing Charlie Day at the mm-hmm. at the board pointing at everything. Pepe Sylvia. Full-on full Pepe Sylvia here. Including but not limited to Eden's bad attitude being mm-hmm. written on the board. That is an important note. That's the one in the center with all the big circles and arrows around it. So let's see, what do we have on the board? They are hopefully italicized in this book. So we have the Luthadel garrison, uh, which they need to to manage in some way. Uh, they have chaos in the city, as well as the great houses to deal with. Uh, they have the ministry, who will certainly not be letting a, a revolution go unhindered. Uh, they have the Lord Ruler's Atium, which they need to try to seize. Uh, they have, like you mentioned, troops for the Ska Rebellion, which needs to be a, a full-sized army. The Lord Ruler himself... Uh, and then uh, the fact that we're all bloody insane, though I doubt we can fix that fact, or Yeadon's bad attitude. And I wrote in my notes, oh, is that all? And then, no, because there's more written later on. Yeah. It keeps going. And and that's Vin's thought as well. She's she's looking at this this list, and even the, the single item of the Lord Ruler is she kind of internally thinks about it's not just a title in her mind he's he's divine he creates and controls the world you you don't kill god uh, and if i may interject very quickly you may he had saved them from the deepness vin thinks to herself yeah so that is that is a thing that at least in this world uh is is a thing that's taught is a thing that that people know from their history is that the lord ruler saved them from the deepness and therefore is the one who rules mankind which may not be a hundred percent confirmation but i'm gonna just go ahead and i am currently dabbing um for my prediction that the lord ruler is in fact the person writing all of the epigraphs at the beginning of each chapter because um that certainly seems like that aligns pretty strongly with uh with how how the world sees the lord ruler um, that was a, a prediction that you had in our first episode, and this definitely does seem to be pointing that way. So give that a little tick mark. It's a good thread. Yeah. Uh, that being said, it's immediately followed by he had brought the ash in the mists as a punishment for the people's lack of faith. That little bit I have a little bit more doubt about. I imagine this is probably Lord Ruler just didn't do a very good job saving the world, and the... Uh, side effect of that is that the world got screwed over um but knowing what we know of the lord ruler it would make perfect sense that he he's he's he can always spin it um to make it look like it was all intentional it was all part of the plan um so he's got good pr people he really does he does there's a whole uh there's a whole suppression campaign thing like he's 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 got he's set he has a system I also really love Kelsier's response to this this line of thinking from Vin, because she says, By the Lord Ruler, you're serious. You really mean to do this. And Kelsier goes, Don't use his name as an oath. Even blasphemy honors him. You acknowledge him as your god. Anyway, yeah. anyone have ideas? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to bring up of, of Kelsier. This is the thing that he is very serious about in in his his very happy attitude, even during this very intense planning. This is the thing that that jumps out to him of don't let him don't let him live in your head like that. 
Which again, must be pointed out, that is about God. <laughs> right. Don't let God live in your head like that. So then we start planning. The uh, let's, let's see, where do we, we start with? We start with if we can get the people to revolt. And Yeadon is down on that idea. He says that the the Ska Rebellion has has languished for, for generations upon generations. They're they're just too beat down. Vin can confirm this with her personal experience. Kind of reminded me of 1984, um, in which one of the conclusions is oh, I don't remember the terms for the different people living, but um, you know the whole like lower class, like if they rose up, they could fix this but they're too broken down or they don't right. realize that they're being oppressed because right. it's just so intrinsic. Yeah, it's it's generations upon generations of, of this being all that you know. So Kelsier comes out with the the first idea that, that he has kind of prepared, uh, which is a house war. The, the great houses who have a significant amount of political power in Luthadel, uh, they are, they're always kind of trying to to get more power for themselves and, and get one over on each other. And apparently occasionally that comes to blows, that turns hot. And so if they can kick off a house war, that will accomplish both getting the great houses distracted and also providing some mayhem in the city. So that is the the first part of the plan. We then follow that with some, I think this is our first significant breeze and ham banter. Uh, where Ham is is making fun of Breeze for uh, always wanting other people to do the work for him. Uh, Breeze says that, my dear friend, the entire point of life is to find ways to get others to do work for you, and then asks him, don't you know anything about basic economics? And Ham, ready to jump in there, says, actually, let's talk about this. And Breeze says, please, no. The, the specific exchange of, it was a rhetorical question, those are the best kind, is very fun. So the follow-up to the, the next stage of the plan then is if a moderately sized army on, on army scales, say 20,000 people, could if, if the garrison can be dealt with, then those people can hold the city. So they need to find a way to get the garrison out of the way. And no answer for that forthcoming, so they'll, they'll have to come back to it. There's also one little piece of world building in here that has been mentioned before, and it still hasn't been fully explained, but we get a little bit more here. Um, a lot of talk of a, a Coloss army and Coloss troops. Mm -hmm. um, no one's saying anything about what they do, aside from the fact that it uh, sounds like they can really fuck some shit up, um, because they make wonderful grunts, but they have to be kept away from civilized cities. Um, so the idea of there's like, there's just this other huge threat, but the Lord Ruler is only going to use, use them as a last resort. So, hey, maybe we don't have to worry about them. Um, you know, only lightly terrifying. Yeah, that's definitely a thing that's lingering. So hopefully we, uh, hopefully our, our characters don't have to worry about that. And hopefully we find out some info about it. I am confident our characters will never have to worry about that. Of course. I was about to say, that's my improbably Beth predicts things, is that we never hear of these guys again. I'm glad we're keeping that segment in of, of improbably Beth predicts things. So they start talking about uh, raising the army. Uh, we get a, a, a brief aside that, that 
Doxon mentioned that they could start building the army in the caves to the north. Yeden is horrified that their secret is out, and, and Kelsier has to explain that it's not really that big of a secret, just nobody cares. So, rough break for, for Yeden there. Yeah, weren't, even in the first, like, in the prologue, weren't the, the Ska mm-hmm. that Kelsier sort of forced to, to migrate, they were like, I think there's some rebels in some caves. So even the, like, plantation Ska, who we've been established information going to them is significantly suppressed even they're like yeah let's head up to those caves but also like how immediately terrifying and demoralizing for yedin specifically being like oh yeah that thing you thought was a safe secret literally everyone knows about it but the the plan will be uh hopefully to raise an army of about ten thousand troops and uh train them and and house them in the the caves to the north and 10,000 will will be a, a stretch, but it will also be, uh, according to Ham, not enough for the garrison. So they they need some answers there. Uh, and Kelsier calls on Vin, and she is not expecting that, and and has to and is realizing that no, she's a she's a part of this plan, and and that means all of it. And her suggestion is to. Uh, try to to sneak things around try to force the garrison to to get out of the city uh, chase something off and they they work on that for a bit and sam this is like you mentioned this is a there's a back and forth here of okay let's work with this idea can we have a rebellion in another city no that's the same problem could we attack somewhere else that probably isn't big enough Uh, and then the the big idea comes up of what about the pits of Hathsim? Because their true purpose is relatively secret, so the Lord Ruler needs to deal with that, that problem himself. And they're a couple of days away, so the garrison needs to go on an actual march to get there. So that's that's an, an idea. That's a good check mark in that column of attack the pits, draw the garrison out of the army or out of the city, uh, and then seize the city yourself. I also think there's a sweet little Vin and Kelsier moment embedded in there of Kelsier tries to, you know, draw on Vin to help and other people are like, oh, don't intimidate her, you know, just let her let her be. And he's like, no, 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 I want to hear what you think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's the one that comes up with the proverbial magic bullet. As opposed to the literal magic bullets, which we'll get to later. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say anything. Uh, and Doxon is taking notes, which is important if you're running a meeting and brainstorming. So good on him. Are you taking notes on a criminal fucking conspiracy? <laughs> exactly. Yes, in fact, he is. And then uh, Kelsier mentions while they're you know talking about attack pits of Hathson <clears throat> that he's a friend that can give a front to run canal boats to the north. Um, was that Lord Renault or was that something else i know that there's some there's some details here that are like there's there's some interesting connections but i can't remember what we learn when so i'll i'll leave that for now but i believe this is somehow linked to something that we've we've heard before or will hear again so the the discussion continues of can we raise up the army uh breeze is going to be the one in charge here of uh forcing up a, a nice selection of recruits which is language that that breeze objects to he says he doesn't force anyone he simply encourages people uh, 
and so he has uh, about a year to encourage them up an army. Ten thousand men, just just raise it. It's like like the Henry Ford over again. Just mm-hmm. get those get those millions, baby. Yep. Yeah, simply acquire. I also like the implication that uh, S- Street Urchin Vin had more rights than you as an intern, Sam. Yeah, well, you know, I actually spoke in that meeting, and <laughs> nobody, nobody wanted to hear it. Uh, I, I was like, from my perspective, as a, because I, um, I was a presenter, and I was like, from my perspective as a presenter, I think the public, blah blah blah, and everybody was just like, anyway. <laughs> Red to fourteen PM. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Left me on red in a physical place. One time, I got a, a an email invite to a meeting that was uh, the CEO and a bunch of other C suite and directors, and then me. Uh, and I, I responded. I said, "I think you meant to send this to a different Justin, because there was another Justin who was a director and would have made sense to be in that meeting and wasn't on the email." And I had worked there for about six months at that point. So I said, I think this is for someone else. And that was correct. <laughs> Surprise promotion. Yeah, good times. So the next part of the plan is weaponry, which Clubs offers to uh, contribute on with his, his woodworking expertise and staff. Though that's not quite going to be enough. So Kelsier has a different plan. Uh, which is doing things the legal way. He's just going to purchase some weapons uh, through a the assistance of a of a friendly noble house, uh, and we hear about Lord Renault for the first time. And the the other crew members are uh, somewhat dubious at first. Uh, Breeze confirms that that he does know who Lord Renault is. This is a real person who Kelsier didn't make up, but this is a uh, this is quite an ambitious plan to get this sort of of scam past them uh and kelsier says no we're we're working with him uh breeze figures it out first uh kelsier has has killed this lord renault and has replaced him with an imposter it's another casual murder you know yeah (laughs) doing things the legal way (laughs) (laughs) just that's kelsier of course it's all above board i mean we've said it time and again kelsier would be a villain in many other stories Mm because he just kills that's the solution and i do love that you can like see breeze and kelsier like it makes sense that be working on the same crew because breeze is laughing about it he's like oh yeah that's a really efficient way to do that's good yeah you're doing good Mm -hmm. um and yeah you could just it it's interesting to see the different dynamics of how much everyone is on board with kelsier shenanigans um breeze clearly is 100 percent okay with it um vin just doesn't know whether to trust it because she doesn't know whether to trust anything um as we see a little bit later there's a certain other character who uh um is very upset about some of the reckless things uh uh kelsier does um just kind of seeing everyone react to all the things kelsier does is very interesting mm-hmm. yeah yeden is is having some doubts here uh, though Breeze reminds him that uh, they've already been paid, so Eden's willing is is perfectly able to walk away. But that will be uh, a part of the plan. Is is Lord Renault? So now we have a uh, a noble house, uh, a minor noble house assisting the operation. Onwards to the the house war, 
uh, Kelsier says that uh, the this happens every so often. The the houses get a little too much at each other's throats, and and things come to blows. And he started that process last night, which we saw in the last episode with the attack on on Keep Venture. Uh, turns out Breeze and Ham had some money on this, on whether or not Kelsier was involved, and it it was in fact. So Ham is uh, is out ten boxings there. I think one of my favorite tropes of all time is two characters secretly having a bet on one of the other characters doing something or having done something. Um, just the image of something being said and then apparently unrelated, one character gives money to another one is just a very funny uh, uh, trope that I love every time I see it. Good those two guys moment. And I, mm-hmm. love, I love those two guys. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Yup. My last uh, interesting section is proven wrong here. Um, I guessed that Kelsier would regret attacking the houses, and it turns out it was a, a plan. Great. Yeah, this is this is definitely it's up on the board. Yeah, general mayhem. I mean, it it will be a problem in in that that is the goal is to to cause uh, chaos in the city, but. At least right now, it doesn't seem like it's a problem for the team. And then we get to uh, one other detail about that attack. Apparently, the reports are uh, that three Mistborn were out to assassinate Straff Venture. And uh, Kelsier says, Straff seems to certainly have a high opinion of himself if he thinks that that much damage and, and that much importance that there were three Mistborn involved. And... Because there was at least one Mistborn involved, that being Kelsier, the natural assumption for the Great Houses is that it was one of the other noble houses, because that's the only way they think that you'd have a Mistborn involved. So that's already going to be setting things a little on edge. I feel like this is a rare example so far of all the, you know, Lord Ruler slash Ministry suppression kind of backfiring because they've so like efficiently distributed the propaganda that only nobles can be can have alamancy mm. like mm-hmm. it can only be a fellow noble person who is this mistborn that their the crew is able to just completely capitalize on in order to uh encourage some general mayhem yeah that's a that's a fun point so the the next part of our plan leading on to the the great houses is that this is apparently standard procedure uh, among groups like Kelsier's is that if you're doing a job that involves the noble houses in some fashion, you're going to have a spy there. So one of the crew is going to need to do some, some infiltration and, uh, and, and reconnaissance work uh, in noble society. And the, the first thought is just have Lord Renault do it because he's a, a good enough imposter to portray this, uh, the, this dead nobleman. Uh, Kelsier says that's no good. Uh, he he looks exactly like Lord Renault, but he can't get near an Inquisitor. And Breeze and Ham say uh, one of those. Well then, uh, Eden doesn't know. Breeze says he doesn't want to know. And we're just gonna leave that there for now. Yeah, I I wrote in my notes. Everyone knows what this means except Vin. And then parentheses and us and us and Eden. And us. Yeah, Eden also doesn't know. Oh yeah, it's true. Yep. And I like how the thing that that convinces Yeden that he he actually doesn't want to know 
is when he looks over at, at Kelsier, who is just grinning at him. Like, you know what? No. no. You're you're right. This is about a dozen times worse. So then we start going through the, the list of other people. Uh, Kelsier suggests Docs, um, or, or rather was assuming that it was going to be Docs. Uh, Doxon says, uh, no, he got, he got spotted during a job a couple months back. Uh, the Lord Ruler himself was there. Uh, and apparently the Lord Ruler has a flawless memory. Uh, and so Doxon says, no, it can't be me. I'd be recognized. He is God after all. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> something that he could do. So down the list we go. Uh, Yin says, don't look at me. Kelsier says, nobody was. <laughs> Let's put this guy who shows up at every meeting in sooty clothes and throw him into it. <laughs> so uh, Clubs is a no. He's a, he's a little too well known as, as a craftsman. Uh, I like Breeze's reason for, for being uh, not the one for the job is that he's done this so many times that too many people know him as different people that eventually he's going to run into two people who, who both think that he's someone else and that will be a problem. Uh, Ham just thinks he's not a good enough actor. Yes, and in my adaptation, we will get Travis Willingham to say, you know, I'm no good at acting. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, any professional actor is, is going to have to stand there and say that they're no good at acting. Yeah, but it's fun to picture Travis doing it. Uh, we suggest, uh, we, we go down to maybe Clubs' nephew, uh, Lester Bournes. Uh, and with some more incomprehensible gibberish, Kelsier says, nope, not going to be him either. I, again, my notes I wrote, uh, the way I phrased it in my notes is club's little shit assistant is named Lesterborns. <laughs> will not infiltrate houses as spy because he's too Eastern. <laughs> I... I recognize, Justin, you pointed out earlier that, that this character generates a lot of discourse. Did not think it would start so hot so soon. He said, like, three sentences. I, I just... Uh, he's like Tiny Tim. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we all hate Tiny Tim. <laughs> Everyone. Worst character ever. But I guess then, fortunately, he's not going to be the one uh, on the infiltration duty, which which makes sense. Uh, and so Kelsier says, great, I guess it's going to be Vin then. Uh, and, and, and she says, hang on, wait a minute. And he says, no, you'll do fine. And her name is on the board. We also get some, uh, some lovely reassurance from, from Breeze, who notices that Yeadon is, is uh, a little uncomfortable with how the plan is proceeding. And Breeze says, hey, you're, you'll probably be fine. We're probably just all going to get caught and killed, so it's not going to matter. And then the, the big question mark on the board, though, uh, is is the Lord Ruler, because Kelsier has mentioned this 11th medal and that he's going to be dealing with the Lord Ruler, but he admits that he doesn't know how it how the 11th medal will quite work yet, and he's going to figure that out. So hopefully that goes well. I'm still convinced that the 11th medal is just a bunch of sticks, and it's, you know, just to inspire people to think this plan is possible. What, like a bunch of spray-painted sticks? Yeah. Like, we'll like, <laughs> be like, check it out, guys. And it's like just, you know, trash you found that looks interesting. We've established that knowledge of Allomancy is fairly fragmented. So 
it would be entirely possible for Kelsier to just lie about this. Yeah. Yeah, I also kind of feel that way, although it is an interesting detail that if this is just meant to be a source of inspiration for the rest of the crew, it's it's a weird thing that he would admit, oh, I don't really know how it works yet. I need to work on that. I need to do more research. Like I feel like unless he's playing just a really long con of of like convincing them of how complex it is and how much expertise it requires to use it properly um i just feel like ordinarily if that was the purpose he was trying to use it for he would just be like yeah i know it's secrets i know i'm going to be able to kill the lord ruler with this it's going to work out perfectly um so I, st- I i think i still agree with the theory that it's it's a bunch of malarkey but um it's an interesting wrinkle that he admits he doesn't know how it works. Yeah, either there's something up there or or Kel is just better at this deception than we expected. And he's going that, that next level to try to convince his crew that this is a thing that he's going to be working on. They're all professional like rat sniffers though, right? Like the like if yeah. he was like, I know exactly how this works, they'd be like, bullshit you know so if you pretend that you don't fully know how it works then you know maybe you could that's a good point is this group in particular that's probably a a good way to fool them if you need to throw in a little bit of extra spice yeah that was actually the follow-up i was about to say is like if one of them were to try and steal it and see if they could know how to use it there's the built-in excuse of well no one knows how to use it so that's why it didn't work when you tried to do something with it um so yeah, that makes sense. And it's it's sort of like you know when you go to work and y- if you tell your boss, oh my car broke down, um, y- you know they're not going to believe you. But if you say, oh I you know uh, some guy steered into me at you know Inkster and Nine Mile, then they'll be like, oh I know that intersection. That intersection sucks. That kind of thing. We we all know that intersection. Yeah. Who among us does not love Inkster? And Nine Mile. <laughs> and then we get to the final piece of the plan for the evening, uh, which was almost left off the list, was dealing with the Ministry. Uh, Kelsier says, well, let my brother deal with them. Uh, and we can tell he's Kelsier's brother because his first on-screen appearance is making a dramatic entrance. I was just going to say something like that. <laughs> one of my favorite recurring bits in this book. Oh, it's it's a very good one, too. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite recurring bits in this book, though, is going to be little similarities between Kelsier and Marsh, mostly in the obnoxious form. Because there he is. Yeah, things they probably don't like in each other. <laughs> yeah. Kelsier says, we'll let my brother deal with them. And he says, like hell you will. And uh, Vin thinks that he, he looks familiar enough to to be Kelsier's brother but just a little more uh more rigid and uh Yeden knows Marsh quite well and is is thrilled to see him back uh Marsh says I'm not certain if I am back or not uh and requests a private conversation with Kelsier and as our chapter winds down everybody files away uh Vin shuts the door heads off to her room and then immediately turns around and goes and listens at the door I feel like this particular transition is built for as if it was supposed to be a like a, a stage play. Because I feel like ordinarily, if two characters in a room with ten characters are like, I want to have a moment alone with this guy, they go into a different room. 
But instead, in order to prevent there need needing to be a needless scene transition, they're just like, everyone else leave the room but us two people. To be fair, I think that I, I know some people who would do it that way. Who would just say, you know what? No, all of you get out. And that uh, that wraps up our chapter there. Uh, going right on to our chapter 7 epigraph, I believe this is the first name that we get in the epigraph of an actual character other than our, our unnamed writer. Uh, we hear about Rashek, uh, who is tall, though most terrorist men are tall. Uh, and he is he's handsome, he's charismatic, uh, and yet apparently he's a real jerk. He, he really, really hates uh, Clenium, where our, our writer is from, uh, and is, is just an, an unpleasant person in that regard. So no, no details yet on why this is related to his, his journey, but we've got, uh, we've got some, some character development there. Starting off our chapter seven with Kelsier and Marsh having their discussion. And Marsh starts things off uh, pretty harshly with uh, a list for Kelsier of the 11 people who he killed last night. And we get some some interesting discussion here, some some insight into uh, this this development that we've we've been talking about of Kelsier's morality. Now he's being confronted with it, and his first act is to chuck the list into a fire instantly. <laughs> Pretty telling. <laughs> and I I think it was Caleb or Sam. It was one of you who last time was pointing out that. You know, when when he was monologuing to himself as he was doing the murder, he was like, they're either noblemen, great, or Ska, who who have decided to work for these noblemen, even better if I get to kill them. And that sort of comes up again here. Yeah. Yeah, and there's like some really telling hypocrisy um, back on 134 when they're talking about oh we might be able to recruit some Ska soldiers who fought in one of the Lord Ruler suppression campaigns and Yedin goes oh those guys are traitors and Kelsier's like ah it doesn't matter we have to work with them so it's fine we're going to work with them and then here pretty much the exact same conversation plays out except Kelsier is the one calling them traitors and saying they deserve to die um, so just the fact that he is willing to see people and be like oh if they have worth to me then it's fine that they're traitors um, but if they're in my way, then they deserve to die. Um, but still, but I'll still call them traitors. And that's my excuse for why I think they should die. Mm -hmm. Um, is, is a very fascinating dichotomy. It was interesting to see, you know, this continues with, <clears throat> with Marsh, you know, dressing down Kelsier. And it's interesting to see that Kelsier is capable of being dressed down. Yeah. Because to this point, he's just had like this dominating personality, and Marsh is clearly the older brother here. Mm -hmm. They they make a comment on how they're about the same height; they look very similar, and yet in the conversation with the two of them, Marsh feels bigger, and and Marsh's uh, his his one question is, "How dare you?" Uh, and we we find out that. Marsh has been involved in the Sky Rebellion for a very long time, longer than than Kelsier has been doing anything serious in in his mind. And it seems like had to kind of let that dream die. And now Kelsier has shown back up, has fancy new magic powers, and is is going to be forming a rebellion. And and Marsh has that question for him of of how dare you 
take my life's work and and make it your own and and laugh and marsh thinks that that this is an act uh he thinks that kelsier's in this for the money and that the rest of it is is just a distraction that he can use to to recruit all these other people and they have they have some some words for each other about that yeah it's really interesting to see marsh get introduced as um he basically has given up on the rebellion um, because he's put so much time into it and it didn't go anywhere. It's, it seems like that's kind of where his character is at. And I feel like a lot of times you'll see the disillusioned hero who has to get dragged back into it. But a lot of times, like, because he's disillusioned, he's now cynical. And he thinks that, like, you know, a lot of the things he used to hold true and the values he used to hold, he no longer feels strongly about. So it's interesting to see Marsh be this disillusioned guy who has basically given up on the rebellion and at the same time, still has a very strong sense of morality of like, well, we can't be killing right. other ska. Um, it's it's an interesting take on um, the kind of, I mean, he's not that old, but the, the grizzled old disillusioned hero. Right. He's given up on the practical aspects of it, but certainly not the moral ones. Right. Kelsier is trying to convince Marsh that, that something has changed, that this is something that he's now going to be taking seriously and in in a way that he thinks Marsh should should work with him on and, and believe him on. And uh and then we find out some a little bit of info about about what changed. Uh um, Marsh mentions that others are are gone and Kelsier says I miss her too. And uh Marsh's response is sometimes I wish you hadn't been the one to survive. And Kelsier says, I wish the same thing every day. And we don't have a lot of info on this yet, but this is, this is a scene. That, yeah, that, that sticks with you. Like, you, it, it's interesting because before this chapter, we've had reference to Marsh a few times and it, and in Kelsier's typical jovial fashion, we've seen, you know, I'm going to go chastise my brother. I'm going to go drag him into this. So, I first time was expecting like oh sort of good but teasing sibling relationship like you know they may not seem too close but you know they'll they'll you know do anything for each other and two pages into their first conversation Marsh is like I wish you were dead sometimes <laughs> like ouch. and Kelsier says I do too yeah yikes yeah some some shit has gone down. And on top of that heaviness, there is the specific detail of, despite what she did, sometimes I wish you hadn't been the one to survive. So, like, there's some other additional elements at play of Mare possibly having done something wrong or suspect um, uh, that, you know, just there's a whole lot of emotions happening here and... uh, We don't have time to unpack all of that, as Marsh says, I'm leaving. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely seems like something that that could have done with some unpacking, but uh, but not right now. And as Marsh goes to leave, uh, Kelsier sees uh, just a little bit of, of movement on the other side of the door. Uh, and with the aid of his iron, sees that there's some little moving bits of metal uh, and says, Vin's good, but uh, she she has some things to learn and he has caught her. And that leads into the next scene, which is a, another bit that I like, where uh, Vin is 
is waiting quietly in her room to see if she got away with it and briefly thinks that she she did before Kelsier knocks on the door and and startles her uh, and then she tries to to play it off like he just woke her up and she's trying to figure out what's going on um and and Kelsier completely knows what's what's going on and, and Vin is just not going to admit that she got caught and then we're going to be launching right into Alamancy 101 after a, a brief stop by the kitchen to get some food uh, and a scene that really is, this is a scene that I would love to see visually of the kitchen late at night with the, the gang all there eating and drinking and then Vin standing right at the, the edge and, and watching this whole scene and, and wondering what's keeping her out of that room. But then after that, we do start with, with Alamancy 101. Uh, starting with uh, with Vin being given a mist cloak, uh, and and she assumed that there would have been some sort of test or or challenge, and Kelsier says, "No, you're a mistborn. You get a mist cloak. There you go." So we start with uh, with some elementic training out at night on the streets among the mist, uh, and Kelsier starts with uh, with a a more philosophical lesson uh, that. This place, the mists at night, is where they belong. And he's trying to impart this on her that uh, that this is this is an attitude change that she's going to need to have. Which we'll see how Vin takes to this. Um, you get the sense that she hasn't really owned much of anything in her life. But he kicks off with, this is ours. It's, it's sort of an ownership claim. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll see how she does with that one. There's also a little aside on how they don't particularly need to be worried about being spotted in this circumstance, uh, because if they're mistborn, then um, like like was mentioned earlier with the the kind of assumption that that alamancy equals nobility. If there's mistborn out at night, then they must be nobles doing something important and or secret, and so let's just look the other way as they go by. And now we start uh, we start going through the the list of metals, and this is this is a big old you know magic system info dump, uh, and it's it's where you can start drawing your your charts and filling in all the the details. Uh, but it we we do get some some action and some some fun experiences along the way, uh, but we're gonna we're gonna start learning them, uh, starting with pewter, which as we've heard before. Uh, enhances you physically, uh, makes you stronger, more resilient, move move more quickly, kind of a general buff there, uh, but it also runs out very quickly. So going to have to be careful with that one. Uh, there's a, a note that Kelsier gives about how you can, you can flare a metal to burn it a little more quickly. Uh, so that's a little bit of, of control that you can have. I know about flaring because that one D&D character in my campaign can do that as a mechanic. And I did not understand what was going on when we first introduced the character, but now I get it. There you go. It has stats and everything. Uh, It's really interesting to see that, um, you know, burning uh, metals that are wrongly mixed can can make you sick or even kill you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that's that's the next thing we get to. Yeah. And I, I really like all those little details because I've, I've 
you know, D&D is my most accessible, you know, fantasy thing with spells and magic that leaps to my brain. And in it, you either cast a spell or you don't. And there's so much science here that's like, Mm-hmm. You, you know, pewter burns a little more quickly and your your alimantic metals have to be mixed very precisely and you can get like a range of effectiveness based on that that sort of mix. Um, which it makes that the whole system feel weirdly more real, even though we're talking about eating metal and burning it for magic power. Yeah, right. magic as a science is always something I am on board with. I think it's really cool how they've done it here. Should we briefly digress to talk about Sanderson's Laws of Magic? Let's do that. Yes. Or at least the first law. Um, So uh, this actually came from... This this is something that that Brandon Sanderson has talked about and and said that he's he's done the egotistical thing and named them after himself. Um, But this came from a, a panel that he was on at a convention fairly early into his career where they were talking about magic systems and it was it was the very beginning of the panel and and um the the moderator asked them something simple about you know how do you how do you start going about writing a magic system for your book and he said well the first thing is it's got to have rules um which he thought was just kind of table stakes uh and the rest of the panel was was very down on that they said well no you you it's magic you need there to be some wonder and some mystery to it and uh, so he he had to kind of sit back and think about how he thought about magic systems compared to the other people on the panel, uh, and what he boiled it down to as as Sanderson's first law is uh, the ability of the characters to solve the plot with magic is proportional to how well the reader understands the magic. So in a magic system that is highly explained and highly detailed you can have plot twists or or big uh, important scenes that hinge on a detail of the magic or the magic being used to fix the problem uh, and he con- he contrasted that to something like the lord of the rings where magic is a very mystical powerful not very well understood force and and that's why you know gandalf can't just magic the ring to mordor because the reader doesn't understand how the magic works so that's that's where Brandon is coming from when he's writing these magic systems. And so that's why we get the second half of this chapter that's all about, here's the basics of allomancy. Hmm. That's a pretty cool way to approach things. It's just so smart. It's, yeah. And, and, you know, when you get into, you know, those sort of pivotal scenes where the twist or the plot hinges on the magic, it just feels so much more clever there's never a moment where you're like, well, I, I didn't know it could do that, so how could I have seen that coming? It's always like, oh, I, you know, either I didn't think about it that way or that was a particularly clever use of the rules that I know, which in, in my brain makes it a lot more satisfying. Yeah, I think I, I enjoy the movies greatly, but like you think about Doctor Strange and a lot of those scenes are just, oh, I guess he can do that now. That's helpful. And... It's entertaining to watch, but yes, it's not quite as satisfying as knowing all the rules ahead of time. Yeah, in the most recent one, they were like, we've trapped Wanda in the mirror dimension. Oh no, she's coming through it. I was like, oh, oh no, oh no, I, I guess that happens. We have too many mirrors set up in our house for the mirror dimension to not work well. 
know. It was still a very good movie. I liked it a lot. Well, and that's something that, that he talks about is there isn't... Like, magic in The Lord of the Rings is not done wrong. It's just not that kind of story where magic can be this kind of mystical force that, that pushes the the protagonists around, but it's not the way that they that they win. And that's just a different sort of story that you're going to write there. I, I looked up a uh, uh, fact.brandsanderson.com about what are Sanderson's laws of magic. And I just find it really funny that um, <clears throat> on this fact page, which apparently is a template, um, but officially published by him, possibly, uh, at the bottom it says, was this article helpful? <laughs> Like yeah. Uh, all right. I don't know if that's just him not. It was only proportionally as helpful as as much as I understood it. <laughs> exactly. So onwards with the the Alamancy learning. Uh, Kelsier tells Vin that the metals come in pairs, and if she if she looks for the the match to pewter, she should be able to find it, uh, and she can. Uh, and that's tin. So we have our first pair of metals there uh, of tin, which, as we've seen before, uh, enhances the, the senses. Uh, and so she uses her tin and can see a little bit better through the mists. Uh, and like we discussed in, in the very first episode, in the very first, uh, in the prologue, this works for for all of her senses. Uh, she can feel the the cloth of her clothing on her. Um, she's hungry and and realizes that more distinctly uh, and and all sorts of things. But uh, it's also just very useful. So the tin will 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 stay on for now. She also looks up and sees the stars, which is a very nice moment. I'm, yeah. Another another trope I love is someone who has not been exposed to, like just insert nature thing here like there's characters in certain media who have never seen the ocean they don't really know what the ocean is and then they see it for the first time it's incredible um i i always just really love that yeah that's a, a great scene uh, onwards from tin we're going to try some more metals uh vin picks one out this is kind of how they have to do this because she doesn't yet know the words to describe them uh and based on her reaction uh, which is that there's suddenly uh, a bunch of faint blue lines trailing off into the mist, pointing to her. Kelsier sees how she reacts to this and says, well, let's leave that one alone for now. We'll we'll come back to it. Pick another metal. No, not that one. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but he, he promises, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get to those two. Try, try one of the other ones. The next one is bronze. And bronze, as, as Kelsier explains, uh, lets you sense... Alamancy, uh, and is a thing that Inquisitors do. I gotta say, and I'm excited to be proven wrong. I'm excited for Marsh to do some cool stuff. Um, bronze really seems like the short end of the stick in terms of all the cool powers you can do. Like, if I was a mutant and I found out my mutant power was you can use Cerebro, and not any of Professor X's other cool powers, just Cerebro. You get to know where the other cool people are. Um... I'd be a little bit upset if I saw fellow mutants, you know, pushing metal around. Um, I, uh, yeah. Seems like less work, though. That's true. Bronze and, as we immediately follow up into copper, uh, which allows uh, you to hide your own alamancy, 
they do seem a little lackluster on their own. And Copper's even a nice support class where you feel like you're being helpful. Although the other thing is, like, if you're a Misting who never comes into contact with other Mistings, Copper would be the worst. Because then it's like, I, what? what's even the point? I can hide my secret power, which is that I have the secret power to hide my secret power. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, if you're Bronze, it's like, oh, you have this really cool power. Also, an eighth of the other people you're going to come across can just make your power not work at all. But one of the things that I wrote down as a note is, can people not tell that they can't detect allomancy anymore? You know what I mean? Like, it, I don't know. It, it seems like in the winter, you know, as it turns into spring, um, when you can start to smell things again, like it's a it's a sense you can get. You know what I mean? Well, and there's a there's a part here when Vin is trying out bronze and she can she can sense what Kelsier is doing and then suddenly it stops and she notices that and that's her her introduction to copper. So maybe it's just a matter of of immediacy. Like if you're in a crowd of people and you don't know if there's any allomancers, then if you if you use bronze and and feel nothing, is that because there's no allomancers around or because there's copper around? If it's a if it's like a battle or you're you know you know you're dealing with other allomancers that would definitely tell you something like you said Sam you know not feeling allomancy would be important so people don't just like leave bronze burning I, I guess which makes sense tin you know you can burn but bronze maybe not always necessary to be constantly aware right Kelsier also mentions that uh, copper. Uh, like we've seen, we've seen already with clubs doing his his smoking, uh, it hides all elements in a region. But for the user in particular, it prevents them from being affected by by emotional elementsy. And as Kelsier notes, Vin is very interested in this bit. The copper cloud is a is a very cool term. Um, yeah, I think the I think the defense against emotional elementsy is why I think copper is actually a little bit better than bronze on the on the on the tier list. Um, uh, Brandon Sanderson convinced me that smoking is cool, kids. Write that down. Oh, no. <laughs> and then uh, at this point, Vin knows about uh, Brass and Zinc from her luck and, and how Kelsier introduced her to this whole experience. Uh, she's now covered pewter and tin as well as copper and bronze. Uh, so there's only those two mysterious ones that Kelsier had steered her away from. Uh, and so she goes ahead and tries one and almost stabs herself. Only a little bit. It's just a nail. Uh, this is time one of three in the next hour in which she almost kills herself. Yeah. Because she <laughs> doesn't quite trust Kelsier. And I think that's the reason for all three of them. Because she doesn't quite trust herself or Kelsier. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting learning experience there. So she, she tries one of this these powers... Uh, there's a nail that flies across the street and, and almost hits her. Uh, and Kelsier takes the opportunity to lecture a bit more and goes on another tangent. Uh, and he talks about, about consequences uh, and that every power has a drawback uh, and that you need to be aware of the, the literal push and pull of how these are going to work. And he demonstrates them a couple of these here. He says, you know, pewter, it, it makes you stronger. That's a great thing. 
But if you're relying on your pewter to do some physical task and then you run out, you could severely hurt yourself. Uh, or tin, which gives you the enhanced senses that Vin is, is using right now. Uh, and Kelsier just kind of yells real quick and, and it hurts her ears. That That's something to, to worry about. Such an asshole. Yeah, it's it's there's other ways you could explain it. And then he goes on the whole speech about, you know, consequences. Here's how things could go wrong. And it's as if he's taught the whole lesson. And then he's like, hey, push this coin against that house. And then she just goes flying back because Kelsey apparently has decided he has not made the point clear enough that things can go wrong if you're not careful. He's definitely a a you-have-to-learn-it-for-yourself kind of person. Yeah. I think that's also marginally justifiable when it comes to iron and steel just because of the amount of bodily harm you can put yourself in you gotta make sure you got those two on lock yeah uh and so we start with our our lessons on iron and steel which allow you to respectively pull and push on other pieces of metal so as as we've seen Kelsier demonstrate to to violent effect in previous chapters and now Vin gets to kind of piece this together where uh, there she takes a coin from Kelsier and pushes on it and it flies away from her uh, it stops against the wall of a house and Vin flies back the other way because there's a consequence there's a push and a pull I thought it was an interesting distinction between this and you know uh, telekinetic powers in, in that you can push or pull directly away or right. toward you but you can't you know whip it around or what well i mean kelsier does it because he's trained enough in it but i picture it more as like using a hula hoop when he was right. fighting the um the haze killers yeah this is there is an there is a knack to it that from what we've seen kelsier is very very good at uh, but it's not as simple as pick up that chunk of metal and wave it around wherever you want and then kelsier decides that they're going to go jump over the wall so that's the uh that's the plan is um he gives her a, a safety belt with some some metal tags so that he can probably catch her if something goes wrong puts a big old chunk of metal on the ground and says all right up we go and and jumps up to the top of the wall and we wrap up chapter seven i also love how like because of the rules we have already established unless kelsier is directly below her no he won't be able to catch her that's not how it works so he like, might be able to like pull her against the wall though that would probably suck hence his little probably caveat <laughs> he's mm -hmm. hedging his bets yes uh, going into chapter eight we have a, a quick epigraph with uh, some quotes of prophecy uh, that uh, we don't have a lot of link to yet but uh, apparently back in in the days of of this writing there were some confusing mystical prophecies and somehow that is how we got there uh, yeah, this is an interesting one. Firstly, like, yeah, it's a prophecy. It's one of the first ones that's not written in first person. Um, and obviously you would think it's the, it's referring to the narrator of these epigraphs who may or may not be the Lord ruler. Um, but, uh, he will be their savior. They shall call him heretic. His name shall be discord. Certainly sounds like those could be descriptors of Kelsier as well. Um, which is interesting, just kind of this chaotic nature of being really powerful and, and really changing the system um, seems rather in line with what Kelsier is after as well. Yeah. Interesting. General Mayhem, his name shall be Discord. Yeah, you're not wrong there. 
we'll see if we get any clarification on those prophecies in our next chapters. So to lead off chapter eight, Vin uh, takes a try at it and, and pushes herself up to the top of the wall. Almost gets there. Uh, she gets right up to, to the top and Kelsir is, is calmly chatting about how much he appreciates the view from on the wall as Vin is, is kind of flailing and hovering in midair. And, and he's just obnoxious here. He's like, well, you're not afraid of heights, are you? It's like, no, I'm just stuck in midair. Please help. I love when we get little moments of... It feels weird to call this Vin coming out of her shell, but it's like similar vibes to what happened with Lestaborn's. You know, normally she's so quiet and trying to be calm, and she's just screaming at him <laughs> at the top of this wall. But he does, in fact, help her onto the wall, and then says, we're going back down the other side, going out of the city late at night. What could go wrong? And like we, we said, his uh, his learning by doing philosophy is in full force here because he gives her a little bit of instruction, says this is tricky, but you can probably do it, and then just goes over the wall himself and leaves her to figure it out. I would not want to learn from Kelsier. <laughs> not before saying, by the way, there are guards coming, so you might want to hurry up. I really feel for Vin here because, I mean, it's clear that she's not responding well to his method here. <laughs> like, cool it a little. Be more, like, compassionate here. I, I don't know. And I feel like this is maybe what, what pushes her to, you know, ultimately in the carriage, you know, as we'll talk about in a little bit, um, you know, saying, fuck you, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> I would feel like that if I was being thrown around like this for, you know, an hour or two. It's crazy. Yeah. Kelsier's a thorn. <laughs> Fortunately, though, I mean, it, it doesn't exactly go smoothly. Um, Vin messes up rapidly in in a couple of times in quick succession. Uh, ends up being flung all over, but uh, it, it does work out. Kelsier does manage to to get her on the ground in one piece but not uh, not the best introduction to iron and steel here although apparently kelsier thinks that this went well i nearly died everybody does their first time maybe that's a sign that training needs to change kelsier <laughs> yeah baby steps or something so he talks about uh how she can now see the the importance of when you're going and doing mistborn things don't wear any metal because you don't want people to be able to launch you around like that. Uh, she has a, a question about her, her earring. Uh, he points out that as long as it's an actual piercing, which it is, um, Allomancy doesn't work on metal that's in your body, which is probably a good thing given you know iron content in your blood and things like that, um, but that the earring will be fine in that case. And this is also a really interesting like concept all on its own, um, for one thing, I feel like that means the earring could be very useful in the future in terms of just like, oh, I need a small projectile very quickly. And Kelsier does point that out. He's like, you, you yeah. might be able to use it as a bit of metal. Yeah. Um, and then also, I love the idea that if two Mistborn are fighting and there's like a metal dagger, the optimal move may be to stab yourself with that dagger so that it can no longer be pushed or pulled. The, the idea of, like, combat evolving to uh, revolve around details like that, I think is a really interesting thing to think about. 
yeah, there's there's some some implications here just from that little bit of metal uh, alamancy doesn't work on metal in the body. So that will be perhaps something that comes up. Which, in my opinion, is a good thing for several reasons, but mostly because Kelsier comes up with the lovely mental image of otherwise another Alamancer could rip the metals out of your stomach while you were burning them. And I appreciate knowing that's not going to happen. Oh, I've seen X-Men too. <laughs> so the, the night of learning and surprises continues for Vin as uh, Kelsier informs her that they're, uh, they're going elsewhere. They're not going back into the city. And so their adventure begins through the, uh, the fields outside Luthadel. And then they get followed by a weird blob monster. And we see a mist wraith mentioned way back in the prologue. And now we uh, actually get our eyes on one. And it's weird. Yeah. I pictured, um, I don't know if this is technically a casting call. Because it's not a real <laughs> beast. But, Casting um, for Mist Wraith on page 165. Russell Crowe as Mist Wraith 1. <laughs> but I, I pictured like the Royal Revenant from Elden Ring, which is basically as described, although maybe a little bit faster than, than Mist Wraiths are capable of, it seems. Yeah, that uh, that looks like it tracks. Oh, hell yeah. I love As we this, all thing. <laughs> this thing's awesome. Also, side note, Brandon Sanderson is a massive From Software fan and has been tweeting about him playing Elden Ring. Um, he also uh, steadfastly refuses to spend the, the runes that he has. Uh, he has like 4 million at this point and refers to them as his high score and just taunts everyone who yells at him to spend them in his screenshots. It's quite funny. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I got a not quite the same casting call, but um, a very big Annihilation vibe from the Mist Wraith. Reminds me a lot of the the bear from Annihilation. Um, oh yeah, just the the idea that this thing can just like absorb other things and just incorporate it into its body in whatever way works best for it. Um, on the one hand, it's very very like creepy and disconcerting. On the other hand, I love that Kelsier is like, yeah, they're chill. They're scavengers. They're not going to mm-hmm. hurt us. Um, it's That's kind of a little fun thing. Of like, I I am always a fan of creepy looking thing is actually friendly or at least not hostile. Yeah, apparently they just kind of wander around. They, uh, they don't have a, a lot of, um, they don't usually have eyes. So that, that doesn't help. Or they have too many eyes because there's a bunch of heads all over the place. Um, but they they just kind of wander around, scrounge up some corpses, and Vin is is concerned about the the human skull that she sees, and rightfully so. And Kelsey says it was probably just a dead body that it found. So yeah, that's a that's a weird experience. But we're just gonna keep going from there. Kelsey are given the word probably a lot of mileage this chapter. He sure does. I loved. Uh... When he said intelligent, no, not one this young. Which means one, they get bigger, and two, they get smarter. Yeah, mm-hmm. that'll be an, an interesting thing to see someday. Oh, all right, we'll we'll find out. <coughs> Rafo, Beth predicts we never see a mystery again. <laughs> I was reaching for the unmute button. <laughs> oh, what the? And probably Caleb predicts what Beth is going to improbably predict. We can't add more segments. That was one of my predictions. Uh, but apparently this was not the thing that 
that Kelsier was actually interested in. Uh, this was just a, you know, a, a side neat thing to see. Uh, and they, they end up circling back to the, the road, the main road out of Luthadel. Uh, and we have another character to introduce to. Uh, how's everyone going to pronounce his name? Just a, a check before I say it. Say Zed? I also would go with Say Zed because we also have the nickname of Says. Um, Sazed? Saze? I don't know. So I believe canonically in, in the audiobooks, which I believe are, according to Brandon, the, the canonical pronunciations, I believe it is it is Sazed. Um, but I, I think I went with Sazed when I read before I listened to the audiobook, and and I think people are probably I also hear Sazed sometimes. But I believe, uh, Caleb, like you mentioned, because of the, the nickname Says, uh, just a couple lines later, um, that is Sazed, I believe, is the, the, the official pronunciation. I'm too Midwestern. I have to get that nasal A in there. Sazed. I, I don't think being too Midwestern is something that this podcast should worry about. <laughs> I mean, it is a majority of us. It's, Yeah. And yeah, he's uh, he's at the carriage, and we see that he is Terrace, who we've we've heard discussed before. He is tall and thin, uh, and he is wearing a huge amount of of piercings and jewelry, uh, and has lavish, colorful robes uh, made of embroidered, overlapping V shapes with this weird, like, bold capital V printed in the book. V shapes! I was gonna mention, yeah. This is the only place that happens. I don't understand. And we learned that, uh, that Terracemen are the preferred attendants and stewards of the, the high nobility. And, uh, and yet, it is here with, with Kelsier. And off we go in the carriage to Felice. We also, real quick, have heard about Terrace and the Terrace men uh, from the Epigraphs. That we have. They were in Terrace. Uh, seem to be in charge of the prophecies and of upholding all the lore, and Terrace is where you have to confront the deepness. Um, so, uh, you know, we, we, only get, we only really get exposed to uh, Sazed in this chapter, Um but uh, presumably the terrorist as a whole, like society, is going to end up being important to some degree, is my assumption. During the carriage ride on the way there, uh, Kelsier has some, some time to introspect, to think about his, his training of, of Vin so far. Uh, but then they have, uh, they have a bit of an interesting conversation. Before we uh, move too quick past the introspection, I think you can see a little bit of where his um, direct teaching style comes from. As just a very brief aside, he mentions that old Jemel had been forced to push him off the wall <laughs> in order Fair. to uh, get him to test out steel pushing. So I guess this is an improvement then that he merely told Vin to. Yeah, okay. But then we have uh, a, a not-so-pleasant conversation where Vin noticed that, that Marsh and Kelsier uh, didn't really get along and uh, assumes that Marsh must have beat him. And and they have a bit of a back and forth where Kelsier has to Kelsier realizes that no, he needs to he needs to explain that no, they just they just disagree and that's okay and it's it hasn't it hasn't been the worst thing like Vin has felt. Uh last episode I uh I, I 
one of my predictions was that Reen may have not actually been that bad of a person. I would like to, to formally retract that statement. Um, that, that did not age particularly well. Seems like he was no, kind save of Save all retractions for the last 10 minutes. Oh, I'm so sorry. Seems like uh, at this point w- with just that one line, uh, my thought has turned from he's giving her good advice about the world from that at the very beginning to maybe he's a little pessimistic to now he's gaslighted her yeah for her whole life no, outright abusive yeah yeah and so vin has to kind of untangle some of her paranoia here as they they go on she's wondering why kelsier gave her this information so willingly and and he says yes there are some metals i didn't teach you about but that's because they're difficult to to use and you need to understand the basics first and that's all and uh kelsier is is trying to impress on vin that they are a a a group who trust each other and who are going to work together and and vin throws something in his face that uh that he was betrayed and it's not something that kelsier really wants to to talk about right now but yeah that's that's something that's still kind of hanging overhead um, but he tries to to push past that. Vin says, "Well, you're 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 holding me here because I don't have money. I'd be on my own." He says, "Okay, here's here's the money we got from Cayman. That it's probably somewhat rightfully yours anyway." And uh, which, she's still which he just conveniently has on him. Yeah, got to keep your your cash with you. It's safer there, I guess. Though it is a bit of a contradiction with the whole. Um, holding metal 30 minutes thing. earlier yeah no don't keep any metal on you <laughs> maybe it was just in the carriage why wh- how would says it have it there's no time you're right i don't know We're, we'll be fine um but after all this back and forth kelsier sees that vin still isn't isn't buying in and so he says all right turn the carriage around we'll we'll go drop you off where you want in the city i i can't work with you if you're going to be this distrusting and and that that's what finally kind of makes vin make a choice uh, of outright say is is she going to be able to work with kelsier like this and and she does so that's what we're gonna we're gonna see moving forward because she wants to see what happens all right so we arrive in felice uh, which is a uh, it's a suburb, I guess. It's a smaller city, and it's where uh, Lord Renault is. There's a um, there's an interesting conversation here where where Kelsier is looking around, and uh, Vin can can tell that he's he's dissatisfied with the way things look. You know, it's it's well maintained, but it's still it's everything in this world is kind of grimy and and brown and gray. Uh, and and Kelsier says that it should be green, which which baffles Vin. So he's a he's a strange person with these ideas about green plants. I love that we had just have a suburb. <laughs> yeah, we're in this magical fantasy world, and that the the city at the center of the empire, and God lives in the middle of it. Now we're in the suburbs. It reminds me of um, <clears throat> uh, there's a movie called Wrist Cutters: A Love Story. Oh, I have seen that. Uh, it's a it's a great movie. It's about um, a guy who commits suicide, and he finds out his girlfriend also committed suicide, 
Um, and the the world where you go when you commit suicide is like the regular world, but just kind of shitty. So everything is also brown. And he's like, I have to go meet my, my girlfriend. Um, and he gets flowers and spray paints them green. Because <laughs> he wants something pretty to give her. But everything looks like shit and it's brown. Yeah. No, that's that's what we've got here. Green is a pretty color. Where have I heard of this movie before? Has this been referenced recently? I casted uh, Theron as Patrick Fugit. That might have been what oh, it was, yeah. that might be it. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that, uh, like, it's not just Kelsier. It, it's very strange. It doesn't feel like Kelsier's just saying, oh, I've heard it should be green. Like, he seems offended that it's not green, which feels more personal, mm-hmm. which makes it seem like Kelsier has seen green trees and knows that they're better than brown trees, uh, brown leaves. Um, which is really interesting. Um, I think one of the uh, um, one of the really wild. It was. I think it was probably in the uh, would be interesting if section. Um, the idea of time travel being brought up. Um, I still don't think I, I subscribe that theory fully, but like this is the I would say strongest evidence we have for Kelsier potentially being a time traveler. Um, just the idea that he feels so strongly that ah oh, these ought to be green trees. Um, this is really, really interesting. Yeah, we'll have to see if that comes back later. Uh, more opinions or insights that Kelsier has on what the world should look like. Alternatively, looking at our world map, um, we know that uh, uh, Luthadel is surrounded by all the ash mounts, but we do see the terrace dominance up north, um, not particularly close to any of the volcanoes. Um, so it could be that Kelsier has just done a lot of traveling and it's just been in other parts of the world. Um, that have not been so heavily affected by um, the ash. Um, so inter- interested to uh, read and find out. Mm-hmm. We go on to to meet Lord Renault. Uh, Vin's immediate read is that whoever is portraying the uh, the the former Lord Renault is very good at what he does. Uh, She's seen Cayman impersonating a noble, and and she can see that there's a difference between Cayman, who who kind of portrayed the general atmosphere as he thought of it, and and this person who she's met for the first time, and and it seems dead on of how she knows the nobility behave, and uh, we get some some introductions made. Uh, Reno is is quite pleased with the the progress on the manor so far. Says he'd. Uh, couple more more weeks and maybe he'd uh, be willing to host the lord ruler which would be a very odd dinner party indeed and uh it's it's almost midnight but it seems like a fine time for dinner so they're gonna they're gonna have a meal i like the implication here and brought up somewhat earlier by uh docs that the lord ruler does attend functions sometimes yeah which is very interesting yeah, it's kind of that's they've pretty much disproven my uh, Lord Ruler is dead all along theory because Doxon is like, yeah, I've seen him. He looked at me. It's like, all right, yeah, that's probably that guy probably didn't die centuries ago. He's probably still around, unless Doxon is also a time traveler. Oh my god! Write it down. Write it down. Other theories. Unless they have some empty suit playing the role of Lord Ruler. That could also be the case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like all, um, oh, what's the word? Uh, psychosomatic 
people see him and they're like, oh, I felt him stare into my soul. And you feel that way because you think you're supposed to. Well, and, and we know that there's an extensive amount of, of myth and lore and, and, and all that around the Lord Ruler. So it'll be interesting to see how much of it is, is actually real at this point. So as, uh, as they prepare for dinner, um, Kelsier and, and Renault go off to have a chat. Uh, and we get some time with uh, Sazed and Vin. Uh, Vin is also being served an absolute bounty of food, which is something that's a completely new experience for her, and, and she has some uh, some troubles dealing with that. And then we get uh, a first little bit of, of fun personality from, from Sazed, where uh, he's doing the, the respectful, I, I guess, standard attendant thing of he's he's standing behind her over her shoulder in case she needs anything uh which she thinks is is creepy and looming so she asks him to please move and he goes and stands next to her i like Sazed. he's yeah he's i like him too i love that like vin does not even register that as a joke at first um and it takes her a second to to realize she's like what is this guy doing and then she looks over and he's just smiling a little bit yeah there's a, a bit of an, an awkward dancing around things as Vin tries to figure out how much does Sazed know? How much is he in on? Uh, to which he says, how did a terraceman steward end up as part of a rebellion intending to overthrow the final empire? Which uh, answers that question. Um, I thought it was interesting here because <clears throat> uh, the epigraph for chapter seven talks about a, a terraceman who is not like this person perfect servile person in Rashik. The one thing we know about Rashik is that he's a jerk. Yeah. So um, what changed in the time between, you know? Um, Generations of being beaten down, I guess, or something. Right. I'm sure we'll find out. Well, if we look back at uh, uh, the chapter 8 epigraph, he will be their savior. They shall call him heretic. His name shall be discorded. They shall love him for it. A lot going on there, but it makes me think that, like, whatever happened between, again, I'm guessing the Lord Ruler and the Deepness, um, like, it seems like he convinced everyone that he did save the world and fulfilled the prophecy. So if the terrorist men are all focused on upholding the prophecy and upholding the lore, it would make sense if he is able to spin that, that they would all continue to serve him and his nobility. Um, And it seems like there's only a select few who are willing to kind of question that. Definitely will be a, a thing to, to take a look at as we figure out more about both past and present. And then Vin and Sazed have a, a conversation about, about belief, which is why he says he's here. Uh, and then he asks her what she believes about uh, the Lord Ruler. Is, is the final empire immortal? Is the Lord Ruler the ascended avatar of God, a sliver of infinity? And, uh, and he says he... He has an alternative if that's not something that she believes. And she asks, well, what, what alternative is that? And, and he says, well, that depends. So we'll, we'll see more about, about Sazed and his opinions on belief. But this is, this is how we, we see the two of them interacting this early on. Yeah, I'm excited to see more of him later on. So they have a, a brief discussion about the plan where... The original plan was for for Doxon to be the impersonator, and so they were going to have Doxon as the heir to House Renault. Um, and Ren- uh, Lord Renault explains that that won't work with Vin. 
Um, there, there are too many other cousins and whatnot that it would be very, very unusual for a young girl to be the heir. And so they have to do a bit of reworking on, uh, on what part she's going to play. Um, they, they mentioned that the, the backstory they have will be that she is a, uh, from a, a, a kind of outlying minor noble house. So obviously isn't quite so refined. No offense, Vin, who is currently busy stuffing food into her pockets. I love that part. It's another part that lives, lives rent free. I, for some reason I've, I've, I remember this scene as her not even, or not just hiding food, but also like mid bite you know, talking with her mouth full, why would I be offended? Kelsier wisely leaves that one alone. Yeah. So the plan will continue, and, and like we said, they, um, they're they going to have to give Vin some instruction on this. Uh, and Sazed is apparently the, uh, the man for the job. So he will be attending to Vin and helping her uh, learn the, the ways of court. And, uh, as we, we get to the end of the chapter, we realize that it is it is late. Vin has been busy all day and is, is quite tired uh, and is going to go off to bed. But before that, um, they have uh, Vin and Kelsey have a, a bit of a conversation where Vin realizes that she does believe and trust Kel at least about something. Uh, and then as, as Sazed takes her off to where she needs to be, um, Vin asks if if Kelsey is a good man, and and he says a very good man, one of the best I've known, and that is where we wrap up part one. One last little detail: I love um, Vin looking back at the meal and saying, "I left food behind," mm-hmm. um, and then not knowing what to think about that. A very strong answer to our uh, "Is Kelsey a good man?" question. <laughs> He's, he's got one guy who's on his side. At least from Sazed's perspective. Yeah. <laughs> so we've finished our, our first eight chapters, our first part, and the stage has been set. You know, there's been some, there's been a couple of plot developments so far, but mostly they've been setting up other pieces to, to be ready. And, and it seems now like we are, we're ready to go. So I, I definitely am looking forward to cracking into our next set of chapters mm-hmm. that being said it's also been established this plan is going to take a year to accomplish so i'm also looking forward to some montages as we yes we have um, we have some time to be skipped perhaps I, I really just want to cut from like little tiny scene to tiny scene of breeze chatting people up and hey i'm getting people to recruit uh and getting gathering up weapons i just i I'm, I'm hoping we get one legit montage somewhere in here. All right. So uh, as we have concluded the, the, the chapters, we've got uh, our usual things to do. Uh, we've had a couple of, of new characters show up, though that, that is starting to slow down at this point. Uh, but we've got some, some cast to add to the list. Sam or Caleb or, or Beth, I, you've got a couple on here as well. Any of you want to, to kick things off with our, our new arrivals? I know, Sam. You I have a start. you have a list, do you not, of of who we've met? I do. Um, I believe we've met Lesterborns, March, or Marsh rather, uh, Sazed, and Lord Renault. Those are our, our four, I believe. I think um, that will cover it. Yeah. 
And then mysteries. And giant blobs. Yep. <laughs> Yay. <clears throat> um, all right. So I have a new, new Kelsier. All right. Uh, it is it is no longer um, Chris Hemsworth. It is now Anthony Starr, who plays Homelander. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> yeah. He's got the smile down. He does. Um, so he's my, my new, new Kelsier. Um, to to do a pairing here, um, technically Lesterborns is the next guy we meet. I'll circle back. Uh, Marsh. Um, I'm a big believer in the Vince Gilligan method of picking actors. Um, he said something akin to, I can't remember the exact quote, um, something about how comedic actors, um, you know, they're, they're great dramatic actors, but you can't necessarily expect the same of the opposite. Um, so in that vein, um, I picture Marsh as Neil Flynn, who was the janitor in Scrubs. Ooh. Oh, um, wow. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. I think he'd be pretty good in that. Um, or alternatively, if we want to go more mainstream or if we were doing it right now, because Neil Flynn's a little bit old, uh, maybe Wyatt Russell. Um, who plays okay. uh, oh U.S. agent um, in Marvel now, um, aka the new Captain America, quote unquote, from Oh yeah, the guy with the really punchable face. Yes. Yeah. Kurt <laughs> Russell's son. Really? Oh really? Yeah, Wyatt Russell. Yeah. I had no idea. You can you can kind of see the resemblance if you go into it knowing sure that. Yeah. Can. Yeah. yeah. Um. So there's uh, new new Kelsier and Lesterborn or uh, Marsh. Uh, Lesterborns I picture as Noah Schnapp, um, who was in uh, Stranger Things. He's Will in Stranger Things, yeah. Ah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Sazed I picture uh, Carl Stroiken, who played uh, the Ooh. fireman in Twin Peaks. Uh, he was on my shortlist yeah. for Sazed as well. Actually, I went with someone else, but yeah, he was he was up there. I thought about him. Um, or alternatively, Troy James, who um, is maybe a little bit too weird for the part. I don't know. But he's also got the same kind of tall, lanky guy bit. Um, and then Lord Renault, I picture as, uh, well, first of all, this is one of those things where, you know, it's it's tip of my tongue, but something's blocking it. Um, he sounds like a dead ringer for a guy I work with. <laughs> Okay, um, but uh, obviously let's, he's let's not go an with actor. Not Doc Sam's coworkers. Yeah, exactly. That's a good good a fun idea. New segment. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I so I picture in terms of actors, I picture Peter Capaldi. Okay, who All right. I think he'd be a good one. So um, hopefully not too objectionable with my list there. Uh, but yeah. All right. Uh, Caleb, do you have uh, some folks in mind? Yeah, I got some. Uh, just real quick, though, you mentioned, like, let's do Anthony Starr, and then you said, and to pair that up, I went with the Vince Gilligan method, and I was like, Giancarlo Esposito, who was also in The Boys? Like, where are you going with that? <laughs> but you were just going to the brothers, that makes sense. Um, yeah, um, I still I still have Daniel Radcliffe in my head as Kelsier. I, I'm still not 100% on that, but that's still who I'm picturing. Um for Lester Bournes, I guess if we're just going to call him the shit kid assistant, um, 
we could go with Brennick O'Connor, who played Ollie in Game of Thrones, uh, everyone's favorite character. Um, just kind of has that that little that the same basic vibe. I feel like um, uh, for Marsh, I had to think about you know who's 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 tall and and you know a little bit rugged. Uh, but also has a sense of responsibility to him. And, you know, if I looked at him, I thought, yeah, I could see you kind of taking initiative and being the leader in this scenario. Um, and then I guess also kind of borrowing from someone who was originally in comedy. Uh, I have uh, John Krasinski as Marsh. Oh. oh, I like that. I feel like he can he can have that uh, kind of, you know, in, in a quiet place. He, he's very good uh, at drama as well. Um, and I feel like, yeah, he just kind of has, he's, he has the vibe that I was, I was picturing for Marsh. You put the beard on him and it all works. Oh yeah, you need the beard at this point. Um, so yeah, for uh, say Zed, I did actually think of Gelstroiken, as I said, um, but I went with a little bit more uh, uh, well-known. Um, uh, I have Paul Bettany as say Zed. Oh. Um, I, a, a Jarvis type. Yes. Um, it's just a lot of his conversations about, uh, uh, you know, belief and philosophy actually reminded me quite a bit about, uh, uh, vision as he's starting to learn what it means to be human and whatnot. Um, I just feel like he can, he can deliver that kind of, um, calm and, uh, uh, friendly and very thoughtful, uh, uh, conversation. Uh, and then for Lord Renault, I have Carrie Elwes, who is most known as, a. uh, um, Wesley from Princess Bride, but also in more recent years, I believe he was the mayor in Stranger Things. Um, uh, I can I can definitely picture him as just being this kind of uh, uh, artsy nobleman. Um, so that that's who I got there. All right, we shall add them to the list. Um, I mentioned in I think in our first casting discussion that there was there was one casting choice that Brandon has said that the fans have convinced him on. Um, and that is for Sazed. Uh, apparently he has settled on, uh, Lance Reddick. Okay. I could see that. Apparently it's, it's mostly the, um, the, the vocal performance. Um, he, he has a very good voice. Oh yeah. Is that Brandon has said that at this point when he's, picturing Sazed speaking out loud it it sounds like Lance Reddick because fans have said that a couple of times I I could see that not to get like super political I would hesitate giving that there the is role an issue of Sazed to a black man when the character does say a terrorist without a master is like a soldier with no weapon that yes feels like it could that, that the weird vibes there yeah you are you're not the only person to point that out for sure I offer very sparse casting choices and to pull back the curtain a little bit. It's been a while since we've recorded the last episode, which you'd think I could have used to, you know, ponder and contemplate, and I sure did not. However, <laughs> um, when we were talking about Lestaborns, for some reason I was like, oh, that's Matt Linz, who plays Bruno in the Miss Marvel series, which is currently coming out. Oh, yeah, I could see that. very good at being an, an overwhelmed teenager. <laughs> yeah, I could I could definitely see that. So add that to uh <laughs> that would be my third casting choice. It would that I have after, declared on this podcast. After Chris Pine as Kelsier and Yadier Molina as Prelon Laird. Why has a casting agency not employed me yet? All right. 
I think our list, I, I'm mentally going over how many new characters are we going to get who are notable enough to make the, the list as we've finished part one. And there's definitely a couple, you know, we're, we haven't met everyone for sure, but we're, we're pretty well established at this point. So we'll, we'll see how much more that needs updating or if we change our minds later on. Uh, but now that brings us to uh, my favorite segment, uh, interesting, as we figure out what's going on next. Uh, we've got some some real things to chew on here with the plan being described. And uh, I know I know Sam also mentioned that you had uh, a few things that you stuck in the the category of what is it? probably aren't true but would be interesting or something like that probably won't happen yes that's it yeah i think all the not percolating that i did sam and caleb have handled in spades so (laughs) what do you got um sure so i can I'll, i'll do mine first i guess okay uh so um well i don't know if this is technically interesting but more just like a a question that i would like to see answered um, is Kelsier an above-average Mistborn fighter, or is he, like, just kind of good? Okay. Because I would like to see at some point, I'm picturing, like, a street fighter <laughs> fight between Kelsier and another Mistborn um, just doing their thing and, like, Kelsier, you know, meeting his match. I think Right, be because we've seen him, we've seen him fight uh, unprepared soldiers, We've seen him fight some haze killers, which was a, a tricky match, but he was outnumbered. And we've seen him teaching Vin, but we haven't seen him with someone on his level. So we don't really know what his level is in the world. We did see a bunch of Mistings toss coins at him. Yes. But that's but, about it. <laughs> but not, not a true one-on-one fight. Right. That's true, but we also do have the one detail, and of course this could be just the lore trying to dress it up as, oh, I'm so important... Um, but Lord Venture did say three Mistborns attacked me, so there is the chance that he, if if that's not just um, uh, you know, purposely talking himself up of oh how horribly I was attacked. Apparently, uh, Kelsier is good enough that he can be as strong as what people would expect from three of him. So, you know, that's something else to keep in mind. So we shall see. We shall keep an eye out for that. Uh, I've got, uh, you know, maybe a minor uh, one. Uh, Lord Renault will be sniffed out at some point. It's kind of a Chekhov's gun. Uh, we can just hope that it'll be uh, in time that it doesn't ruin the plan. Right. But it's almost impossible to think that he'll never run past the Steel Inquisitor. Right. At, at any point. So... Um. And then my main body here uh, was just uh, playing like a cat with a ball of yarn at the idea that someone will betray at some point um, and figuring out who it'll be. Uh, so I kind of went down the list of, of people who are in this criminal conspiracy, um, and I thought of uh, who won't betray. Um, I have clubs who probably won't betray because he's too much of a dick. Uh to to betray i don't know i love i i love clubs but he's you know he's like i don't know he he seems like a genuine kind of person who keeps it 
100, and he wouldn't be involved if he was going to betray eventually. Um, Docs, I don't think, will betray because he and Kelsier seem to be genuine friends. Um, and Ham, I don't think, will betray because it seems like he almost looks up to Kelsier. Uh, so I, I feel like that'd be a bridge too far for Ham. Okay. Um, as far as who will or might, uh, I have two probably won't happen but would be interestings and three possibles um, and explanations for them. I think it'd be interesting and possible if Vin betrays at some point um, because she never trusts anyone. She's kind of hanging by a thread at some points, as we saw here. Um, yet, she's still able to be swayed by a kind gesture, which happens a lot. She's just, you know, temporarily... And a lot of the time, she'll even be like, why did I do that? Why did I go along with that? Hmm. Because somebody showed her kindness. She's, you know, that's her weakness. Um, so, uh, the Lord Ruler might offer her something too good to be true, She'll kind of fall for it and uh, betray at some point. Um, maybe Marsh. Uh, he doesn't seem sold on Kelsier or the plan. Um, and then uh, I have parenthetically here, uh, after Vin, not Kelsier, kills the Lord Ruler, if he's not already dead, Marsh might fight Kelsier. Um, just, you know, Okay. Because he's, you know, <clears throat> not genuinely for this. I don't know. Um, and then maybe uh, Eden, because he seems the least satisfied. The crew keeps poking fun at him. But he's not just the payer. He's the general. Right. Um, so he could give secret orders to the troops. You know, um, the betrayal, if it happens, is going to happen at like 98% finished. So after they take the city... He might just say, you know, screw you all. I have 10,000 men. We're going to kill you so that you're not going to, you know, fuck this up later on. I don't know. Um, I have two probably won't happen would be interestings. Uh, the first one is Breeze. Um, I think that, uh, you know, it'd be cool if Breeze and Ham had a schism and fought each other. Um and it kind of made me think of like the idea of a soother in combat. Mm. Um, if it was possible for a soother to like be in combat or if a thug would just always beat the shit out of a soother. <laughs> I don't know. I think that'd be uh, interesting. Um, and then my other probably won't happen would be interesting. The most won't happen but would be interesting one uh, is Lestaborns. Okay. Um, there's a TV trope called Bastard Understudy mm -hmm. uh, in, in which the understudy betrays the master, uh, kind of like Kylo Ren betraying Snoke. Um, and I think that'd be really interesting for Lestaborns to just be like, ha-ha, I'm, I'm taking over. Uh, you know, betraying you all. That'd be a neat little twist, but probably won't happen. So there you go. That's my... Uh, I love the idea of... Lester Bourne's betraying everyone, then going on a big speech about how he was behind everything all along, and no one can understand him because oh, it's all no. in the Eastern <laughs> slang. Oh, it's all in Eastern. Oh, I no. love it. It's great. I have to call you out, Justin, because I can see the notes where you're putting down these theories. 
Mm -hmm. You wrote BETRAYAL in all capitals, question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. Oh, I don't know if that means that I'm way off base or if it means that I'm way on base. Ooh. I've also, uh, to to spoil something slightly, uh, Lestaborns gets nicknamed pretty much the next time we see him. Um, And it's much easier to spell, so I've just written his nickname instead of Lestaborns already on this sheet. So Okay. Is it Bastard Understudy? It's not. (laughs) How did you know? It's shit, kid. (laughs) All right. These are definitely some things that we can can check back in on as the, the plan progresses as well. All right, then. Uh, Caleb, what do you have for us? Oh, I've got a few. Um, all right, so my first big one um, that I am, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling pretty confident in, uh, Lord Renault is a fully grown Mistwraith. Uh, we have had it mentioned that Mistwraiths may be potential, potentially able to steal people's faces, um, and uh, um, Vin is like, curious about how intelligent Mistrace are and Kelsier specifically says oh ones that are that young oh that that they're you don't have to worry about them um but we also know that however uh Kelsier managed to get someone to impersonate Lord Renault it's very disconcerting and we don't want to know about it because it's 12 times worse than just killing a noble and replacing them with someone normal um so there's something going on with Lord Renault we also have like Renault and Kelsier want to go into a room and talk about something. Kelsier comes out and says, don't worry, it has nothing to do with you. It's just a secret that needs to stay between the two of us. And Vin believes him when he says that. Um, so, hey, I'm a hideous, horrible uh, Elden Ring creature and <laughs> I need to go over the plan with you. That might be something you don't want to, you know, say while the uh, 16 year old girl's in the room who still doesn't trust anything. Maybe I'm misremembering, but didn't the the Scott at the very beginning um, talk about like Mistwraiths being like walking among us? That's, or am I just totally that's something that, and I I think Kelsier tries to dissuade Vin of some of the kind of common mythology, but there is a whole bunch of kind of like horror movie thought in the prologue around you know Mistwraiths stealing people's faces. Yeah, that when uh, Jess's daughter came back mm-hmm. from uh, Tresting's manor when Kelsier saved her, they were like, look, she's not a mist wraith. Like, I thought she was because she was out in the mists, but I brought her out in the sunlight and she's fine. And I think in the, um, when when Vin and Kelsier see the, the mist wraith out in the, the the countryside, he kind of tries to, to say you know there's a there's a whole bunch of nonsense people believe about them but this is this is the truth but obviously we could we could see more later so that will be yeah he doesn't give too many specifics on the truth he just says they're scavengers and when they're young they're not intelligent so that's my big one um i didn't have this theory until it was actually brought up that uh, Kelsier and Marsh might get into a fight. I don't think Marsh is going to betray the party. However, the idea of that was funny to me at first when I thought, oh yeah, a bronze burner is going to be so good in a fight against Kelsier. Um, But it did make me think it would be very, very interesting. And I'm not even going to say this probably won't happen because there's a good chance it might. It would be very interesting if a certain character, and I think Marsh is probably the biggest suspect, is secretly a mistborn all along and is just pretending to be a misting so that they can hide their power. 
Um, there's not a lot of evidence so far to justify that necessarily, um, but I think that would be a very interesting kind of twist that someone is is hiding how capable they are of using Alamancy. And they said it was like hereditary, right? So it it would kind of mm -hmm. make sense for Marsh to, like, it would not be impossible to think that Marsh was secretly mistborn. Right. The fact that that the both of them are Alamancers of some sort and and are related, uh, is definitely a thing that that makes sense in world because it is hereditary. So there there's a possibility there. Um, most of my other ones are a lot smaller. Um, I think I kind of mentioned it before, but I think that prophecy about, um, who's the savior of mankind, but he's a heretic and his name was a discord. Um, I think there is a very strong chance that prophecy will end up applying to multiple people. I think it, it's clear that, um, it was originally people thought it, it, it applied to the Lord ruler back in this kind of past time before whatever happened. Um, but I think it's a very good chance the prophecy will end up being fulfilled uh, for someone else. Currently, Kelsier looks like the biggest candidate in terms of his name is Discord. He's a heretic, but he'll, he'll save the world. Um, but I do, if the back of the book is fair game, which I feel like we've established in the past it is. Um, the last sentence is, where a hero rose to save the world and failed, can a young heroine succeed? Um, I don't think Vin necessarily applies to his name shall be Discord. Um, it doesn't seem like she's really in a position of leadership at this point in the book, but there's always room for character development. And I also feel like um, a lot of this prophecy stuff, you know, this first book is going to focus on the heist. And knowing that this is a series that will continue, um, the wider prophecy of saving the world might not really come into play until later. Um, in which case, I think there's a very good chance um, Vin ends up being the chosen one um, to whatever that entails. Okay. Um, dun, dun, dun. I already covered my thoughts on the Terrasmen. And my one last one that I didn't come up with if, until last night when I was going over everything. Um, it's been established that there is a traitor. Or there was there was a traitor. Sorry. I did, <laughs> the betrayal. We don't know what's going to happen when it's going to happen. Um, uh, there was a traitor that presumably is what got um, Kelsier sent to the pits. Um and Kelsey was like, we don't know that there was a traitor. And Vin's like, yeah, but you're pretty sure there was a traitor. Um, and we also get that one detail from way earlier of um, not only do I wish you had not been the one to survive, despite what Mare did, I wish you had not been the one to survive, said Marsh. Um, which leads me to think that perhaps Mare was in fact the traitor. This could be impacted by the fact that in a recent D&D &D campaign, there was an entire subplot of, hey, here's this love interest that I had back in the day. And then we got betrayed by someone we don't know who. And everyone in our party was like, it was definitely the love interest, right? Um, and yeah. You, you that, may that's... have some some outside impact here nudging you this way just a little bit. <laughs> Perhaps. Um, but uh, no that is the... That is the uh, the conclusion I am kind of drawing there, that um, Mayor was in some way responsible for things going wrong. Um, maybe it might not have been a complete betrayal, because it seems like Kelsier and Marsh both do think fondly of her still. Um, but um, seems like she was probably, to some extent, the cause of things going wrong. Okay, that will be an interesting thing to, to check back on and see how we uh, would learn about that, who's willing to talk... Because it's 
the the issue is not something that Marsh or Kelsier really felt like diving into very much. So we'll have to see when they bring that up. I tried to go into the Google Sheets, which all the notes are on, and change every instance of the word betrayal to betrayal. Betrayal. Uh, Justin has wisely denied me edit power. I was smart like that. <laughs> all right. I think that just about wraps us up. We've uh, we've had our first eight chapters, our first three episodes, our first part, and uh, we're ready to to continue on. At least I certainly am. I'm eager to get back and do some more reading. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, looking ahead to part two, uh, we're going to be doing two episodes on part two. Uh, they're a little bit shorter. They're they're closer to the length of the first episode. Uh, so our, our next episode will be chapters 9, 10, and 11. And then the episode after that will wrap up part two. So other than that, unless anyone has any final parting thoughts, I think we will say our goodbyes and, and do our business. business. Do, we, do we have business? <laughs> What's our business? No, the, the usual nonsense of... Uh, this has been another episode of There's Always Another Podcast. We really appreciate everyone listening to these. We're going to be hopefully getting things uh, on a a schedule of, of releases and recordings, and that'll be all, all great. Um, releases more than recordings in terms of scheduling, but you know how it is. Um, if you want to uh, leave us any feedback... Uh, and you can do that at contact at alwaysanotherpodcast.com. And we'll take a look at that. I'm so worried about cyberbullying. <laughs> All right. Don't cyberbully people. That's where we're going to sign off here. Thanks for listening. But smoking is cool. Smokers are awesome. <laughs> yeah. The more you know. Bye.